0: really excited to, uh, to be here. It's a privilege. It is a huge privilege to speak God's word uh, over the church and into the church. And as I was prepping this lesson this week, I was like, man, this lesson is for me first. So I want you to know that as we walk into this, it's like Luke needed this more than any, anyone else, okay? And so instead of praying, me praying, I'm going to ask us as a church to do something that we haven't done very often. I'm going to ask for all of us to pray this scripture out loud together. Now, this actually comes from the church I grew up in uh, I grew up in a little tiny Methodist church in Broderpool, and there was these liturgical moments that I thought were really cool, and then sometimes scary because a bunch of people were saying the same thing in a monotone voice, and I was like, what's happening? Uh, but I remember liking it enough to think that we should do that We should do that again. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, pay attention to the cadence of the Scripture. And two, you've got to mean it. Okay, you've got to mean it from the bottom of your heart. I'm going to give you an example of the cadence of the scripture we're going to pray. It'll be on the screen, by the way. This is the cadence. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Okay? All right, guys, don't screw this up for me, okay? All right, you guys ready? It's going to be on the screen. One, two, three. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. And that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. God, that is our prayer. That is our prayer as we step into your space, hoping to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you'd open up our minds to learn, open up our hearts to be edified, our lives to love. We are expecting that you will do something incredible, something powerful in our hearts this morning. We trust that your word speaks clearly and accurately to us now. And I pray that each of us would hear something from you and walk out of here enriched because of it. God, we give it all to you this morning. and ask that you show up and do what only you do. We love you so much, Christ. And the church together said, Amen. So we're in our second part of this series called No Regrets. And I would explain to you what the series means, but it's all wrapped up in the title. It's about how we can live a life with no regrets. How do you and I make sure that as Christians, or like I said, if you're a guest and you're, you don't necessarily call yourself a Christian, this is a sneak peek for you, Like, how do we live our lives with an eternal perspective? How do we make sure that we're like not going to get to the end of our lives and have a whole laundry list of regrets? We got to make sure that uh, we stay focused as Christians. This is, this is God calling us up as his church and the church age and saying, hey, don't miss what I've got for you. Don't miss it because I'm doing great and wonderful and big things in this generation, in our generations. And God wants to invite us in to join him with that cool stuff. And because this scripture verse is so true that, that the, 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 our life is, is no longer than the width of my hand, and that to God, a lifetime is just a moment. Because that is true, because that's real, because that's a true thing for our everyday life, my hope and my aim and my goal is to persuade you and to persuade myself to do everything, to do everything, to do anything possible. To avoid the treasure trap. You're like, Luke, what are you talking about? What did I come to this morning? Church, this is my dad's raccoon trap. And uh, I'm from the west side, born and raised, playing in the woods, where I spent most of my days. I'm not going to do that whole thing, by the way. That would be super annoying. But I, I grew up on a good bit of land, like, you know, John Deere tractor, go-karts, woods, that whole thing. That was my childhood. And the funniest thing about waking up on a Saturday morning was hearing my dad go, <laughs> I'm like, what happened? He's like, I caught another raccoon. I'm like, awesome, let's name him. Right? And so my dad would catch these raccoons in these, in these cages and I thought it was so funny because he would put like peanut butter or like an apple or some kind of delicious morsel of goodness right there on that little miniature cage. And what would happen is little Rocky raccoon would walk into this cage and he'd step on that little platform right there and boom, you know, garage door closes and Rocky is trapped. And my dad's like, success. I'm not letting this raccoon get my bird feed or into my trash. Right. And so I just have these funny memories of my dad trapping raccoons on the west side of town. And I was thinking to myself, what does this have to do with church, right? I was thinking to myself, we are a lot like raccoons. Let me explain why. We can live our entire lives with very little. Raccoons actually do not need peanut butter and apples to live a full, complete, healthy, wonderful life. As a matter of fact, a raccoon can live its life completely on its own in the woods with its raccoon family, enjoying the splendor of the woods and all that comes with being a raccoon. And it actually does not need the peanut butter or the apple to feel satisfaction. But what happens is the raccoon sees that peanut butter or sees that apple or some kind of good morsel that looks good, smells good, tastes good, and it's like, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. And I will do anything to acquire it. And so what's Rocky do? He wanders himself into a cage and gets trapped. This is the bane of the human condition. We want what we don't have. We want to be where we're not. We want to become who we were never supposed to become. And we often find ourselves trapped in a cage of the tyranny of want. The tyranny of want, this this cycle of chronic dissatisfaction with all that God has given me. So I'm just going to dream about the future and think about what I don't have and work as hard as I can to acquire it. Jesus knows this about us. We're a lot like raccoons and Jesus knows this. And so he calls us out in scripture. How do we make sure that we have an eternal perspective with all the resources and assets that God has gifted humanity. This message is an issue of our hearts. Simply put, this is all about Jesus exposing the condition of our hearts. Our hearts are so vulnerable to being rotten. What's Jesus say? He says this, Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The real question, church, is why? Why? I'm pretty sure there's a scripture verse somewhere that says the guy that dies with the most toys wins, right? No. Matter of fact, that word treasure in the Greek is thesauros, not thesaurus, but the sauros. It means a deposit. Or more precisely, it means wealth. So let's reread that scripture with the original Greek word. Do not store up for yourselves wealth on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves wealth in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your wealth is, there your heart will be also. Now notice Jesus is not saying don't create wealth. Don't, don't you dare walk out of here and be like, Luke told me not to go make money for my business and I shouldn't be focused on profit. That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay. We got to make, we got to make the black and whites, the black and whites and the grays the grays. Okay. So the black and white is simply this. He's saying, don't store up your wealth. He didn't say don't generate wealth. He says, don't store it. So I started thinking like, what, what is the best example of this? And like I said, this scripture is for Luke. This, this message is for me First. I want you to know that I am right here wrestling with what this means for my life, okay? The best example of wealth being stored in a contemporary culture like ours, I was like, what is that, what is that, what is that? Oh, yeah, it's the self-storage industry. Now, stay with me for a second, right? This is super funny. The self-storage concept. No shame to anyone who's got a self-storage unit right now, by the way. No shame at all. I actually have stuff in storage. It's not a self-storage unit, but it's, it's somewhere. I won't tell you. The point is this. The point is this. Follow my logic. I don't have need, immediate need for this object, nor do I have space for this object in my current home. So I'm going to pay you to store it for me so I can visit it occasionally. That is the logic behind it. The storage industry. Like, check this out. One in 11 households rents a self-storage unit at a national average cost of $87.15 per month. This is a, this is a spare, this company's called Sparefoot. They compile statistics. Um, last year, the industry's annual revenue was estimated at 38, drum roll please, billion dollars. It is the greatest business model of all time. I'm gonna build a facility for you to store the stuff that you don't need in that facility. I'm gonna make you pay me for that stuff that you bought that you don't want or need, so you can visit it occasionally. Dude, if any of you guys want to go make money, go open up a storage unit, man. It's amazing. It is amazing how easily we walk into that trap. Again, no shame. Like seriously, if you are moving and you're got stuff and transitioning from like home to home and you start, that's something totally different. So so no shame no matter what. But here's the danger. Church, here's the danger the danger in excess the danger in excess possessions is that they end up possessing us that's the danger i'm so preoccupied with the accumulation of all the treasure all the wealth that i'm hoping to acquire in my life and i'm trying to fill this heart cup of mine and if i could just make sure i get that next thing that you know that next whatever the next experience the next object my heart would be full remember The human condition is I want what I don't have. I want to be where I'm not. I want to become someone I wasn't supposed to become. That is our issue. And we are like a bunch of rocky raccoons and we're walking into this treasure trap all the time. It kind of reminds me of Notorious B.I.G. when he was like, more money, more problems. Except that has really nothing to do with it. The point is this. The point is this. How do we, how do we build wealth in heaven you see how jesus doesn't just call out the negative he props up the positive he's just like look y'all have the tendency to build up wealth on earth but i'm telling you it's all got an expiration date russell eventually it'll succumb to rust moth will eventually destroy those curtains a thief could actually break in and steal i had a friend in denver recently uh, in the past year or so, that had his uh, home burglarized in Denver, and for the first time he realized, like, man, stuff is so transient. Like, whoa, yeah, you're totally right. Stuff is not permanent. All things have an expiration date. All things have an expiration date. So it's it's one thing to like work on not storing up stuff on earth. There's value to the simple life. We all know that. As a matter of fact, it was a huge Christian value right after Christ resurrected. Like not until uh, the Reformation and the Industrial Age did material wealth become so frequent and we all started walking into that treasure trap over and over and over again. And our lives became about building our little empires, our miniature kingdoms, and we got distracted from building God's kingdom. How do we build wealth in heaven? I didn't really think about this. I was like, okay, I, I get it. I, what, what I want is I want more stuff, and, and I have the money to buy it, I think. Well, Maybe not. I might go into debt if I, you know, can get it. Whatever. I get it. I shouldn't. How do I build wealth in heaven? Church, we build wealth in heaven by building a wealth of relationships with our lost neighbors and coworkers. We build a wealth in heaven by building a wealth of relationships with other Christians and serving with them on mission together. We build wealth in heaven by reallocating all of the earthly assets that God has given us for kingdom purposes we have to share we are blessed to be a blessing you're like look that sounds a lot like communism like no communism is forced generosity is a choice jesus is concerned about the condition of our hearts i know many a great men and women who have done remarkably well in business and seen it as an opportunity to expand god's kingdom the issue is not wealth generation That's not it. It's It's not about your ability to make money. It's about what you do with it after you make it. How can you have a kingdom and an eternal perspective to see that I've got resources that God wants to allocate for His purposes? That's the deal. Church, where's your treasure at? Where's your wealth at? What's your preoccupation? Where is your treasure? Justin Martyr offered this uh, commentary in his uh, apology. He says, For where his treasure is, there also is the mind of a person. It's amazing how we can become so preoccupied with stuff that's got an expiration date on it. It is amazing how often Christians, and we, we the people of God, are the exception to societal standards. You're like... Luke, what about the American dream? Like, show me, show me the chapter about the American dream. Show me the scripture that God props up the American dream. All God does is prop up sacrifice and mission and discipleship. Nowhere in scripture does God prop up the American dream. And I, well, I, don't miss, hear me. Don't you dare walk out of here and be like, Luke is telling me not to go make money. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your perspective, your preoccupation, your wealth, is meant to build wealth in eternity, and once we make that connection, it's amazing what God does with that connection made. And all of a sudden, you are this powerful tool for God's purposes. I mean, my goodness, Jesus talks more about money than he does sex in Scripture. It's a big stinking deal to Jesus. So, how, what's our what's our place? How, how do we how do we solve? This, uh, this human condition of always being in the tyranny of one. How do we solve this problem? Well, Jesus kind of offers up the solution uh, real black and white, real real easy. He, Matthew 6, 33, church, he says this. But seek first. Say it with me. Seek first. Say it one more time. Seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's so interesting that... The majority of the frustration of the Christian faith is simply that we get God's value system out of order. You know, we'll seek God's kingdom second, third, fourth, fifth, or if I have time in my schedule. I got a whole other stuff. I got a lot of stuff I got to do, Luke. I got a full schedule. I can't just be seeking God's kingdom every single day in all the ways. Like, I got it. You know, I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. No, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, and the rest of that stuff that you're all preoccupied with, that's all going to fall in place. Man, if anyone out there is, is confused about that word kingdom, I'm going to make it real simple for you. The kingdom is wherever the king is at. Simple as that. In a theological sense, the spiritual kingdom is here in the Holy Spirit, the church age. The spiritual kingdom is present and active where the king is at. And in, in the end, when Jesus returns... The physical kingdom will be established and he'll reign in a physical sense. That's kind of the difference. That's how you can kind of be satisfied with that. Why would Jesus tell us to be so preoccupied with his kingdom before anything and everything else? Jesus knew something we didn't know. And he knew this. God's kingdom is the one thing, church, that lasts forever and matters the most. The kingdom does not have an expiration date on it. The kingdom does not rust. The kingdom's... Do not uh, get destroyed by moth. The kingdom cannot be burglarized. The kingdom matters the most, and it lasts forever. So how in the world do we, as people that are, are trying and striving to follow Jesus on a weekly basis, how do we seek first his kingdom so that we are preoccupied with building wealth in eternity rather than always being preoccupied with building wealth here on earth? Take some cliff notes with me. If you're a note taker, I'm going to burn through three very simple, accessible, tangible ways that you can do this. Number one, I will guard against materialism. Notice I didn't say material. I said materialism. Ism, emphasis on excess. Okay? The problem is, is that this trap is real. This treasure trap is real. That peanut butter and that apple, that's a real treasure. It's not so much about the treasure, but it's the cage that it puts you in when you walk into it. At one moment, you are free to do all that God has asked you to do in his kingdom, and then you become preoccupied with all these little treasures that the enemy's like, hey, check this out, man. And you walk into this treasure trap, and you're caged. And you find yourself Cage down and realize I'm not as free as I once was to pursue all that God had planned for me. Jesus calls this route. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, Watch out! Watch out! Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not, does not, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I am not the amount of fishing gear I own. And I have a lot of it. And I'm always thinking about the next lure, right? I will identify the treasure trap. I will avoid the treasure trap. I will use what God has already given me rather than being preoccupied with what I do not have. Number two, I will be generous. Generosity is the surest action, the surest sign of love. How about John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. How about Matthew 25, 35? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I would be unpersuaded. If someone said, I love God, but you never gave anything to him. Giving is the most sure sign of love that we could possibly show. Not because, yeah, in part because scripture calls it, but because God looked at you, he looked at me, and he said, I really love him. I really love her. I really like him and her. As a matter of fact, I love and like them so much, I'm going to give them my son, Jesus. We are generous because God is excessively, remarkably, oh my word, generous. Our God is so stinking generous. What happens is that the greed oh, it wells up in your soul and you're like, what do I do with this? I just want more the tyranny of one. I want more, I want more, I want more. I keep finding myself in that treasure trap caged. Giving is the solution. Giving is the solution. If you find yourself trapped by greed, giving is the antidote. Uh, the CEO of FedEx, Fred Smith, said this, Giving is the only, the only way to drain the greed from your soul. It is the only way to drain the greed from your soul, is giving. Number three, I will focus on what matters. Philippians 3, 7-8 through 8 says, But whatever it was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Uh, funny little word study there. That word rubbish in the Greek is skubilon. It literally means poop. Just wanted you to know that. You've got some Bible lesson there for you. So it literally means poop. I consider them poop that I may gain Christ. That's what skubilon means. Ball is basically like exaggerating and saying... All that stuff that you're preoccupied with compared to knowing the King Jesus, it's like dog poop. It's that worthless. It's that temporary. It smells that bad when you know Jesus and you've gotten a taste of that treasure in Christ. Everything else, man, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. I we'll guard against materialism. I will be generous. I will focus on what matters. Church, you will never regret. You will never regret investing more of your finances in the God's economy of the local church. You will never regret. You will never regret it. You will never regret um, serving on a weekend volunteer team, giving more of your time. You will never regret joining an outpost, living on a mission. You will never regret going through Rooted and growing in your discipleship in Christ. You will never regret these things, but you might experience buyer's regret. You might regret not walking fully into all that God has prepped for you in this lifetime. Because we find ourselves caged by the treasure trap. There's just too much at stake. There's just too much at stake to only be preoccupied with building wealth on earth instead of wealth in heaven. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God didn't say don't generate wealth, He said don't store it. Church, it's not the peanut butter, it's not the apple. It's the cage that it puts you in. And when we walk out of that cage, you'll find that your business, you business owners out there, your business is about joining God and building wealth in heaven. If you are good at making money, go out and make as much money as you possibly can and ask God to show you ways to use it, to build him up, to find other people for Christ, to establish his kingdom in a more robust way. Your parenting is about joining God and building wealth in heaven. Your vocation is about joining God and building wealth in heaven. Your home, your vacation home, everything, your basement, your automobile, everything that you own, everything that you possess is about joining God and building wealth in heaven. So we're a church of about a thousand people, right? We have planted around six churches in the last few years, two are on deck. Our goal is to give away 50% of the income that comes inside these walls to outside the walls for mission. And we are seven years old. Do you think God is done with us yet? No. God is just getting started with Mercy Road Church. And I promise you that there is a day coming so, so soon where God is going to ask you to step up to the plate and understand this incredible discipline of reallocating everything that you've given me is meant to help someone else get to know you. And that day is coming soon. That day was yesterday. That day is today. That day is tomorrow. It is a perspective shift. It is a complete reorientation of my heart. And I know many of you right now in this room including myself cuz remember this message is for me. Find ourselves in this stupid cage over and over again because we see something that we don't have or we want to be someone we're not or we want to become someone that we weren't supposed to become. What's uh what's really funny about the whole raccoon fiascos at my home growing up. <laughs> this is the best part, right? So my dad would catch these raccoons in this cage. And what he'd do, you know, what he'd do is he'd take it and he'd take it over and he'd put it in his truck. Put it in his truck, and, you know, my brothers and I'd be like, see a raccoon. And I actually didn't know this until recently, but my dad drives those things up north to a farm. He's never told the farmer that he drops off these raccoons at the farm. I'm 100% confident my dad's been committing a crime now for, like, 20 years. And, like, no one has ever cared or, like, discovered it. So there's, like, literally a raccoon reunion, right? So there's, like, dropping off Little Rocky, and they're like, oh, Rocky, you finally made it to paradise. And they're all, you know, reunited, and it's just this big party. My dad takes that raccoon on a truck ride to freedom. And I... In the fear of being super overly cute and silly church in a really funny, funky kind of way. There's a lot of us that need Jesus to take us on a truck ride to freedom. Because that's what Christ offers. Christ offers this immense, incredible freedom. We were set free not to be caged. We were set free not to find our, our chains We were set free to do all that God has asked us to do. And it's remarkable what he's asked us to do. He's asked us to join him in his work to generate wealth in heaven. That is an amazing calling. And there's probably an individual here somewhere, myself included, that's going to have to do some business with God. That's going to have to be like, God, am I walking into that treasure trap? Am I doing that on a weekly basis? Can you show me how to use everything you've given me to help someone else get to know you? Can you do that for me, God? That is going to be my prayer. That is the prayer I want you to say on your heart. As a matter of fact, we're going to have another liturgical moment. I want you to say it. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to say it with me as I say it. One, two, three. God, teach me how to use what you've given me To help someone else get to know you. And you will discover that that is a real possibility when you let Christ open up the garage door on that treasure trap and you walk out of there. And you walk out of there confidently. It's not about the treasures, it's about the cage it puts you in. And many of you right now need to talk to God because God is talking to you. Jesus, that is our prayer. Our prayer is that we be the kind of people that would recognize that we are so easily caged. We are so easily duped by things that smell good, look nice. We know that you're not saying don't own stuff. We know that you're not saying don't experience life. We just don't want it to possess our heart. We don't want it to be our God. We don't want it to be something that we're caged by. We want to be free. We want to be free to use our treasures to build you up, to build your kingdom up, to build and store wealth in heaven. We want to be about what you're about. God, correct our rotten hearts. It's so easy for us to... to, Fall into that trap. So in great expectation, we petition you, Jesus, to do what only you are able to do and bring that garage door open so our hearts can walk out. How oh, We love you a lot. Teach us. Teach us, oh God, how to use everything that you've given us to help someone else get to know you. In your name, Christ.